Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. It's time at long last that the BitCast tackles Kingdom Hearts 3. Now, sadly, I was not able to afford the game, but I've done a lot of research, and my guest here was able to play the game. He actually finished it last night. Why don't you reintroduce yourself? For long-time viewers, you may remember me as Henry the Guest, and this is this has been like, what, 30 episodes I haven't been on or something? Something like that. You haven't been on the show in quite a while. Yeah, I've, I've been busy. Yeah, the, no special reason or anything. We just haven't been able to record, or haven't felt like recording. But yes, I actually played and beat Kingdom Hearts 3 last night. Kingdom Hearts 3, the game that... Some people would say it took 13 years to make, even though not really. It was really only since about 2013, I think, when they first announced it for real. Uh, something like that, yeah. That's still a pretty decent amount of time. More than decent. Just a lot of us have been waiting since the end of Kingdom Hearts 2 for Kingdom Hearts 3, myself included. Yeah, you've got people who never even played Birth by Sleep or Dream Drop Distance or any of the other games, so... You gotta wonder what they're feeling. I did an episode many months ago that was an attempt to explain the lore of the series and the rules of the universe and stuff. I don't remember how comprehensive it was because there was some elements that I've kind of learned about since then, but I'd like to think I had a good grasp of it at the time. And as far as the war is concerned, the only there are only two games I have yet to beat in the series. One is Dream Drop Distance, and the other is Union Cross. Now, I've played Dream Drop Distance, and I don't know anything about Union Cross, but I think I know enough that's relevant to 3, so we should have our lore covered, if we're even going to talk about the lore too much, probably a little bit, but right now we're talking about Kingdom Hearts 3. Henry, what is your overall takeaway of Kingdom Hearts 3? My overall take on it is... If you enjoy Kingdom Hearts, any of them, you're going to enjoy 3. I normally don't do ratings for myself, but I would give it a solid 7.5 out of 10. You really think every Kingdom Hearts fan is going to enjoy this? Because I've heard some pretty mixed things about it myself. I mean, speaking as a Kingdom Hearts fan myself, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, it looks like it has a lot of fun Kingdom Hearts-isms, but... I've seen some other complaints in various areas, like mainly the fact that the game is bare bones and content. The most you really have is the bare minimum. And, oh, don't get me wrong, just because I like the game doesn't mean that I don't, I don't have problems with it. But you don't think those problems outweigh the positives? I, I don't, personally. You went away from the game liking it a lot. I did. And now I took my time with it. I got it a couple days after release. And I played it slowly over the course of the month. Now, how would you say this compares to the other games in the series for you? Uh, first thing I would say is it's definitely a lot shorter. Uh, that's one thing I think a lot of people were complaining about is it's, it is bare bones. There's not a whole lot of fluff here. It has a similar problem to Dream Drop Distance where the trailer shows pretty much everything you can come to expect from the game. It kind of gives away just about everything you you could get excited about. The only surprise left is how the pieces all fit together, and that's only for people who care about it. Right. Gameplay is what really carries the series for some fans. And for me, the gameplay in this game was, well, pretty solid. So, talk about the battle system, I take it then. That's our first point here. Right. Battle system... Uh, if you're familiar with Kingdom Hearts 2, you can forget all about it. There are no drive forms, there's no reaction commands. It's more like Kingdom Hearts 1 in that regard, and where you can't just keep pressing a single button and just get a bunch of cool nifty attacks. Instead, your triangle button is used for various different attacks, like your transforming keyblades, or your different, different attacks with your party members, or your attractions, which are new for the game. Oh yeah, they also threw in the shot locks from Birth by Sleep. Yes, they did. That also has air stepping to go with it. Yeah, I think that's a new one, but it's kind of a riff on the flow motion that was in Dream Drop Distance. And it's back here in 3. Yeah, so they 
took some bits and bobs from the different battle systems and seemed to throw them all at you, as well as theme park rides for some reason. Yeah, the theme park rides just... I barely used them unless it was a major in battle, like a boss fight. I guess some people had issues with proccing the attractions by mistake. Like, they just want to open up a treasure chest, but the prompt for the Ferris wheel or something shows up instead. I've actually had that happen to me too, yeah. I guess that's a problem people have had with it. I mean, if you're uh, PS4, you can use L2 to switch between the different uh, triangle commands. Hmm. I'm not sure how that would be different on the Xbox One version or not. It'd just be, I think it's left trigger there. Hmm. Yeah, the transforming Keyblade is really new, I think. It's established as a thing that Keyblade Masters can do in past games, but we don't really see a whole lot of that. Uh, That's one thing I really enjoy about the battle system here is that Sora can equip up to three Keyblades. He can only use one, but he he can switch between them. And every single Keyblade has a different transforming attack. Yeah, and they're all turned into different kinds of weapons. One of them's a hammer, one of them's a lance, some of them are guns. A couple of them are actually gun-like. Yeah, they recycle a little bit, but it's really interesting to see all these different weapons. It almost feels natural, really. Yeah, because you just hit the button, and while you're transforming, if the enemy's near you, they take damage in the middle of the transformation. Yeah, so that's actually pretty nice. I feel like Kingdom Hearts has, as the series gone on, it's tried to become a flashier version of all their other games. It's trying to get up there in the Platinum and Devil May Cry school of really stylish battles, and I don't know if I'd say that they pull it off, because those games get really crazy with some of the things they do, but I I see the attempt being made. And I agree with you on that one. It's been slowly getting flashier. It pretty much is an anime you play in a lot of instances. Now, the way they handled Keyblades in this game, it looks like there are much fewer of them than usual, but they're all really diverse from each other, and they don't necessarily have to outclass each other because you can upgrade older ones to have better stats. Is that right? Not just better stats, but if you get it to the final level of upgrade, they also gain a new ability. Okay, so it's more of a quality over quantity thing is what I'm seeing with these Keyblades. Right. You could go through the entire game with your starting Keyblade and still have just as good time if you keep switching. Yeah, though the game is remarked on as being one of the easiest in the series no matter what. I'm seeing people playing on proud mode and not breaking a sweat. I barely broke a sweat, but I was playing on normal uh, there's an item in the game that also kind of breaks it. It's called the Koopo coin. If you have it, you can only have one, but anytime you re- be reduced to zero health, you instead come back with some health. Oh. And it's only 400 money. I feel like that should have been introduced earlier in the series. Uh, put it this way, I actually carried one as soon as I could grab one. I didn't use it until the final battle. <laughs> yeah, I hear the final battle is at least somewhat difficult. It is pretty challenging, and I enjoy it for what it is. But the battle system is really hectic. It's not difficult, but it's fun is what I'm gathering. Oh, it's really fun, especially since uh, partners. Partners in this game, you no longer have to switch out Donald and Goofy for the world-specific partners. They just add two. No more party limits. That's really nice. Right. And it does make the battles really hectic, really fun. Oh, that also means that there are no more finishers to defeat bosses and whatnot. I was just about to get to that. You can... Actually kill your bosses with any attack. Any attack. And the partners, especially Donald, they're actually good this time. Oh yeah, I heard Donald is finally moving on from his reputation. He's actually good in this. I mean, first of all, he starts with all his spells, and second, he doesn't heal you when you're already at full health. I think I've seen that happen at least once. But okay, it's not as often. It's though. not perfect. You know, Donald's a black mage. He's not a white mage. He's not used to this. No, no. he's trying to become a red mage. He's trying to get that license. Yeah. Anything else to say about the battle system? Uh, flow motion is actually really smooth in this. I was I had never played Dream Drop Distance, so I was not familiar with flow motion before getting into it. It actually is really awesome to be able to run up a wall, jump off it, go into a go into a skydive, and then just smack your enemies below. I think they actually toned it down from Dream Drop Distance. Oh, really? Yeah, it was crazy in that game. 
I haven't played it since 2012, though. Oh, there is one more thing. Magic. They It takes the combo idea from Kingdom Hearts 2, but if you smack an enemy with enough magic, and some Keyblades have this as well, you can use what's called Grand Magic, which is the next level up. Mm-hmm. They actually have a fourth tier of magic now. You can only go up to three normally, but if you smack them enough with it, you go to the Aza level. Oh yeah, I've, I've seen some of those in some of the other Final Fantasy games. Yeah, it's actually really awesome. Oh, that's neat. So I think one of the things people get really excited for with Kingdom Hearts is, of course, the Disney worlds that get featured. There aren't a lot, and only two of them, not counting the Hundred Acre Wood, which kind of sucks in this one from what I see. Only two of them are returning worlds. The rest are brand new. I would like to point out that all the new worlds are Pixar films. Oh, no, no, no. Only two of them are Pixar films. Oh, um, what were the other two then? Oh, no, they're all Pixar, dude. No, 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 they're definitely not all Pixar. Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., those are Pixar. Uh, so is is Frozen. No, that's Disney. Is that Disney? I thought it was Disney does CGI now, you know? Oh, that's right, yeah. Okay, my mistake. But what do you think, since they bring Pixar into this, finally? They do, with Toy Story and Monsters, Inc., and... I was looking forward to these worlds, honestly. I think a lot of people were. So, spoilers, in case that wasn't already apparent. The first world you go to, Olympus, and we're not talking the Colosseum. Yeah, it's, they, a- it's actually Thebes and the Realm of the Gods this time. Yeah, they let you explore all of Olympus, finally. Mm-hmm. And then you go on to Twilight Town. Which is drastically, drastically reduced from what it once was. And the only other returning world is technically the Caribbean, but it's a different part. You, you do go by Port Royal at least once, though. Yeah, you do. Every other world is new, as he said, and... I think, uh, let's just address the elephant in the room. The most lackluster world is Arendelle. Frozen is in the game, and it has a world, and it is widely regarded as the weakest showing of the Disney movies here. And that's not even just the Frozen hate bandwagon, even though Frozen's actually a good movie. It's the fact that Disney, it's come to light, or at least it's common knowledge, I don't know if it's accurate, but it sounds accurate, that Disney was very protective of Frozen, so they only wanted it portrayed a certain way, which ended up meaning that the movie unfolds in the background while Sora climbs a mountain a few times. To be fair, they do that a lot in the other Disney worlds as well, but it's not as subtle as it is here. No, no, no. It is more subtle than it is here. I mean, the other worlds are not as subtle about the movie unfolding as... Frozen is what I'm trying but to no, say. No, this this is not subtle at all. It's literally the movie. They show us Let It Go. Oh, that's a good... And they and they do also show us uh, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Well, I'm, I'm, I, think, I think you're using the word subtle when you're trying to look for a different word. You're probably right. But yeah, it is like beat for beat the movie, except we don't get to see most of it. And some what? of the other... Like, the Caribbean has the same problem, but they distract you with fun ship gameplay and Jack Sparrow and stuff. But here it's just, yeah, climb the mountain while Elsa and Anna take care of their own stuff. Given the events of the movie, it's fine, but you don't even get Anna or Elsa as partners. I don't think it's fine, given the events of the movie. Sora should have been, like, I don't think he even talks to the characters after a certain amount of time. After a time, no, it's literally just him, Donald, Goofy, and the partner you do get, who, which is Marshmallow. Yeah, the big bodyguard snowman that Elsa makes halfway into the movie. Admittedly, though... I, I like him. Like he's a high point of the stage. He is. He's he's actually pretty fun. Yeah, I like that they made him a character. He's. It's it's kind of one of those things where limitation begets creativity. I think. Yeah, and they do. And if you're saying it's a case of executive meddling, then I can see why they did what they did. Frozen is a cash cow for them. During the time of making Kingdom Hearts three, they were working on the Broadway musical. Yeah. Like, and now there's Frozen two coming out, which is an entire different can of worms. Let's see, some of the other... Corona, which is based off Tangled. That is a fun world. I love it a lot. And the Caribbean, which is based off Pirates 3. Those follow the story of their respective movies as well. And they do suffer for it because they stick to Sora's perspective. Other than a few token scenes, we don't see a lot of things that don't happen with Sora. So a lot of weird narrative holes, like, why is... Flynn suddenly leaving Rapunzel behind. If you watch the movie, you know what's going on, but 
that's not included in the game, so we're just kind of left to think that he abandoned her for some reason. Yeah, and I haven't seen Tangled. I have seen uh, Pirates 3, though. So I can see, So it kind of feels like they expect you to have seen the movie before playing the game. Which is fair. And you know what? I actually kind of like Corona more than I like Tangled because it, it actually gets rid of all the stuff from Tangled that I didn't care about. I didn't care about most of the singing or the thugs who are accosting Flynn or too much of the horse or the guys at the at the bar who are all secretly nice guys. I didn't care about any of that. All the stuff that I did care about was still in this stage. So for that reason, I prefer it to the movie, but it only works because I've seen the movie. So it's a kind of balance there. It's a bit of a skip, I know, but I am going to mention that Corona for some reason gets its own unique variant of tension rising. And I still don't understand why. This this really haunts you. <laughs> I'm I'm just confused. Why? <laughs> this this really needed to be addressed here and now. <laughs> it's like, why did they use the remix of this song? I don't get it. Uh, but Caribbean has a similar problem, but like I said, back during the Frozen part, they distract you with the, you know, the fun ship battles and Luke Sword and Jack and all that stuff. And it is a pretty fun world. It is a pretty fun world, yeah. It helps that they break canon of the movie and resurrect the Kraken. Yeah. They re-release the Kraken. Okay, so if we're gonna go into worlds that did not follow their movies, Toy Story. Yeah, the Pixar worlds both actually take place somewhere in the canon of the of their movies, but not during the movies themselves. I believe someone, one of the Pixar bigwigs, I don't remember who, maybe it was even Lasseter, but they said that this is canon to Toy Story's timeline somewhere, probably before 3, given the fact that they're still in Andy's room and stuff. Yeah, that would make sense. And I've seen the first two Toy Story films. I haven't seen the third one, but it doesn't seem like you need to know any of them to really enjoy the Toy Story world. Not too much. No, not. Probably watch the first one at the very least so you know who they are. Yeah, that's really all you need to watch for the Toy Story world. the The toys that are introduced in the sequel aren't even in this level. No, they're not. I don't even think they're mentioned, come to think of it. No, they're just listed as the missing friends yeah they don't actually mention um jesse or the barbies now this is a thing that happened with jack sparrow but it also happens with the pixar party members is well the thing is in each of the disney levels you run into one of the members of xehanort's league of villains they all come in talk about how stupid sora is and then leave that's pretty yeah that goes on for Pretty much all the Disney worlds. I know, but in the Pixar ones, and the fans have latched onto these, the the Pixar characters have backtalked. Like, Woody straight up tells Kid Xehanort, is like, I bet no one's ever loved you before, and that's why you're so evil. It's like, oh, yeah. Woody just called him out. Yeah, look up that. If you Even if you don't play the game, look up the Woody v. Young Xehanort scene. It is actually glorious. And that's not even getting into what Sully does to Vanitas. Oh yeah, which I never, I actually never watched Monsters Inc. Was that during the movie? Were there? No, this is taking place. Is this afterward? No, like I said, this takes place outside of the Monsters Inc. movie. It's okay implied to be after the movie because of all the references to the ending. Okay. Also, it occurs to me I need to get you to see more Pixar movies. Yeah, you, you're the one who introduced me to The Incredibles. What did you think of them bringing the Unversed back for the Monsters Inc. stage? Wasted potential. Really. Mostly because I understand that Vanitas is there, but they could have had the unversed in more worlds. Because in the other Disney worlds, it's either it's heartless, but sometimes they get mixed in with nobodies as well. They could have mixed all three of them. In fact, I can name only one time where that actually happens, and it's not even a Disney world. At the very least, they were a very logical monster type to have in the Monsters, Inc. stage, and... Now that I think of it, there were still Heartless in that one. Oh yeah, there were, you're right. They just never had Unversed and Heartless at the same area. Let's see, one of the other worlds. I think the only other one we haven't discussed is the Big Hero 6 world. Oh, San Francisco, which is another movie I have yet to see. But from what I saw in the game, it's actually pretty good. It takes place after the movie, too. Okay, that makes sense. It's pretty good. I liked it a lot, though. In my personal opinion, it has a bit of the same problem as the Toy Story world, and it feels too big. Hmm. 
Too uh, big or too empty? Too empty, let me rephrase. That being said, however, San Francisco is supposed to be Tokyo and San Francisco put together, so that makes sense. I'm, I'm hearing people saying that that world was kind of rushed. The fact that it's the last Disney World kind of suggests that... I feel like if it was rushed, it would show, probably. All the Disney Worlds in this game, you can beat them in about uh, two to three hours, and that's three if you're going slow. You could easily beat it an hour or two if you know what you're doing. Or even if you don't, I end up getting lost in Kingdom of Corona more than once. I'm not sure what point you're trying to make. What I'm saying is the Disney Worlds seem to be a lot shorter than they were than in previous games. So you're saying that San Francisco isn't shorter than the rest of the Disney worlds? It's not shorter than the rest, but the stage itself just feels too empty. Like, there's not a lot of people. I just feel like there isn't as much plot in this one. Yeah, it really isn't. But it is fun. Take your word for that. Hmm, do we want to talk about the original worlds? I feel like I feel like that could be a different section. We could do that in the end game. Okay, well, you know, let's at least talk about Twilight Town, since they throw, the, they throw that one at you early on. Oh, yeah, Twilight Town, significantly shorter than it was in previous installments. Oh yeah, it is It is egregious what they did with Twilight Town. Oh, something I was very disappointed about, you got to explore the old mansion in Kingdom Hearts 2, and I'm sure several others I'm forgetting. You don't get to explore any buildings in this game. No, you get the downtown section that you started in into... You don't even get to go to the clock tower. You get the downtown section... You get a sewer, and you get the forest and mansion front lawn, not even the interior of the mansion. That's it. They, I know the Sunset residential area was kind of pointless, but they didn't have to cut out nine-tenths of the entire town. Like, wow, almost why bother? It feels like they only put in Twilight Town for the cooking minigame. Which you can do at save points. Exactly. You know, it's actually kind of funny... That you encounter Remy in Twilight Town before you go to the Toy Story level. So Remy is actually the first Pixar element that the player is introduced to. Yeah, and he's not called Remy here, though. He's called Little Chef. Well, that's because that was what the humans called him in the movie. Okay. So, the story. Oh boy, where do we begin? Well, let's just say what happens in this game. And I guess, spoiler talk, if you're one of the fans who cares for the story... and there are people like that out there. I'm admittedly curious what would have happened in this one. Okay, short version. The good guys win. So what happens is Yen Sid is very... He is the sorcerer from Fantasia. He's very upset with Sora for screwing up in Dream Drop Distance. So he's like, you need to go find Hercules, get stronger. Like, okay. And for the rest of the game until the end game, Sora is going to these Disney worlds to try to learn a thing called the Power of Waking... Meanwhile, Riku and Mickey are trying to find Aqua from Birth by Sleep so she can find her friend Ventus, and Kyrie and Axel are training somewhere off-screen so they can all get together and beat up the League of Villains. That's the story. That's the short version of the story. There's a, there's a lot of references to past games, but that's pretty much the, the long and short of it right there. That's the back-of-the-box version. Yeah, basically. That's all you really need to know. You pay me to write the summary on the back-of-the-box. <laughs> Oh, I wish. There's a point when they keep bringing up in the Disney worlds that didn't go anywhere in this. The new Seven Hearts, which, by the way, sounds grammatically weird. Well, it's meant to be a reference to the Princesses of Heart in the first game. And I guess it's implied that most of them have bequeathed their title onto new pure hearts. Right, uh, we do find three of them in um, this one. Yeah, Rapunzel and the Arendelle sisters. Yep. Even the main bad guy for, well, I say main bad guy, but the organization member sent to Arendelle is surprised about it. Yeah, they, they, they weren't expecting to find so many in the same world, and I guess it's to keep the Princess of Heart plot point alive without making a go back to Snow White or Aladdin or Alice in Wonderland over and over again. Right. Getting a little off topic here, there is potential for that to become a thing in DLC, so we're just going to have to wait and see. I don't think... I'm going to be honest. A lot of people are hoping that DLC will fill in some of the holes in this game. I'm not getting my hopes up very high for that. I'm thinking critical mode, maybe some boss rematches, that's it. Probably. I mean, I'm thinking 
probably the same as you. I was listening maybe some new worlds with like mini games, something like that. But otherwise, no, they're, they're not, not gonna they're not gonna do story elements. They're not gonna add new worlds. Maybe a new world, and it'll probably be Twilight Town sized or something. Or the, or they'll just expand Twilight Town. <laughs> Pay ninety nine cents to get the clock tower back. Well, speaking of things missing from Twilight Town, Cipher. What do you think of the lack of Final Fantasy content? I honestly did not... It didn't bother me, but I can completely understand why people would be bothered by it. But I'm not the biggest fan of Final Fantasy at all. And put it this way, the only game Final Fantasy game I've beaten is 10. And I do occasionally play 14. That's it. Yeah, the series, as of days, has, which is the fourth game in the series, mind you. The, the first one after Kingdom Hearts 2. But anyway, the series has been drifting away from Final Fantasy for a while, so I'm not too surprised, but it does feel kind of missing. The only Final Fantasy element they do bring back in this game are the Moogles. Yeah, th that doesn't really count anymore. No, it really does, and they're... It, 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 saying Moogles are in every Kingdom Hearts game is like saying there's mushrooms in every Mario game. It just kind of... It just is. Well, Moogles are also in other Square games that aren't Final Fantasy. This is true, yeah. But Nomura has commented that he feels like the series doesn't need Final Fantasy anymore, and ah. it, it shows with the greater reliance on original characters, but he's admitted that he's open to adding it again if he sees that more people are wanting it, and... I think he said that in response to the criticism in this game, so it might get more. I actually happen to agree with Nomura. I've always felt that, for Kingdom Hearts anyway, it should start moving away from the original premise and start trying to do its own original stuff. I remember reading a long time ago, I'm not sure how true this is, that, that the marketing focused on the Final Fantasy aspects more in the West than the East in order to draw in more of the hardcore gaming crowd. Yeah, it would make sense to me. I'd also like to point out this game series started as a joke in an elevator. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's actually how it happened. I don't know if it was a joke or not. but It was pitched in an elevator. Okay, I guess that makes it a joke then. <laughs> <laughs> but no, actually, that's what I read is they were just joking about it and then it was pitched and here we are 17 years later. What's interesting is that instead of Final Fantasy... In Dream Drop Distance, Sora and Riku run into characters from The World Ends With You. Which is another Square, pro Square Enix property, but it's not Final Fantasy. No, but it, it's, it's kind of neat that they worked that in there. And there's another nod to The World Ends With You in one of the secret endings, but I'm just going to let that sleeping dog lie. I, I guess I should also mention that while Sora's getting tough and Riku and... Kyrie and Axel and everyone are doing their own thing. We get cutscenes from the villains every so often. They're doing their own things. And they're inconsequential, ultimately. More or less. Uh, the Disney villains are pretty much a non-thing in this game. Yeah, they don't really get a whole lot of screen time. It's mostly the Xehanort incarnation show. I'm trying to think... And I believe that Randall from Monsters, Inc. is the only villain to get some, like, substantial... Well, oh, well, Hades, of course. Well, yeah. Hades and Randall are the only ones to get substantial interaction with Sora and the gang, even if they don't act as boss fights. Yeah, neither of those are boss fights, which is a shame, really. I would have loved to fight Hades again. Yeah, I think everyone in Olympus is just kind of burned out on Hades' shtick. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, spoilers, you fight the Titans. It is nice to see Zeus in the gang, though, for once. It is nice, yeah. But yeah, as you said, it focuses mostly on the Xehanort Legion of Doom, so it's pretty much the Xehanort Power Hour. You get a different member of his organization in each world. Some of them only appear in the end game, but it's pretty neat that most of them are somewhat thematically appropriate to the world they visit. Uh, somewhat. There are a few that are a little bit egregious, like Arxene from Chain of Memories is in Arendelle? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the Arendelle world. They gotta do what they can with that one. Right. However, Marluxia in Kingdom of Corona actually makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, because they've got the flower motif. And young Xehanort is in the Toy Story world because these young toys are an essence of youth. Stuff like that. So, I think 
Now we get to talk about the climax of the game, which is where spoilers come in, but you had a spoiler warning a while ago, so just turn back now if you really don't want to know anything. Right, and, the, and these spoilers are going to be thick and heavy, so be warned. Extra thick, as Aku would say. Right. The end game starts in the Keyblade Graveyard. Yeah, remember that place? You meet up with Xehanort and the gang, they basically taunt you, you fight some kind of recreation of the Thousand Heartless battle, but with all the enemy types this time, and then you run into the possessed Terra, and for some reason, everyone's reaction time turns into molasses, and they all nearly get killed. Donald nearly kills himself casting one of the most powerful spells in Square Enix canon, which is something that a super mega god boss in Bravely Default did with help, which means that Donald is one of the most powerful mages in Square Enix. Y yeah, what? He does all that. The good guys are toast. Actually, it's not even that they're almost dead. They did die. Oh, yeah. They, they actually lose, and Sora, I guess, has a mental breakdown and dies. Yeah, yeah, Sora dies. Rocks fall, everyone dies. That whole scene is, and I'm not alone on this, that whole scene is considered to be really unearned because, like I said, what happens to all their reaction time? Like, come on, guys. Oh, wait, these are people that have gone up against, you know, giant monster heartless run-up walls, you know, f practically fly in some cases, and then they get the reaction time of a snail. I mean, what what happened here? And then Sora's little rant at the end where one of the, where he's like, I can't do this! I'm all alone! With, by the way, Riku standing right next to him. It, it feels completely out of character for him. I, I, I get that they wanted to show, you know, the drastic stakes and how powerful Xehanort was and stuff, but it just... It felt like they cheated to get there. They like, could have done it in a much different way and a much better way at that. Yeah. Like, maybe have Master Xehanort himself just, you know, come out. They all try to attack him, and he's just... He's playing. He's toying with them. Just showing his mastery of whatever... Of darkness, I guess. So then Sora ends up in Purgatory, and he collects a bunch of Soras. Like, this is the missing Donkey Kong 64 level. And then he comes back to life, and... Oh, by the way, when you're in Purgatory... You can optionally encounter Namine there, and that's her only spoken line in the whole game. Which I actually didn't know, so I didn't find her. <laughs> you can miss Namine. You can miss Namine, which doesn't begin to make any sense. And also, it, I'd like to point out it's the, the world is called the Final World, but it's not the Final World. Oh yeah, that's an Abbott and Costello joke waiting to happen. Yes, it is. But then, if you miss Namine, you miss some important five-second foreshadowing because. Once you're back from Purgatory, you do, do the whole thing with Terra again, but this time his possessed armor comes out, which has been a thing in the series. Yeah, it's been a thing since Birth by Sleep, but the only, only other time we saw it was Kingdom Hearts 2 as an optional super boss. Yeah, and I guess it's implied that Namine sent it there, so it, it, it pretty much shoos away the evil Terra and then follows after it, and we never see it again, I'm not sure... What was going on with that? No, we, we never see it again. Also, that giant heartless tornado that killed everyone. By the way, it was a bunch of heartless together. Yeah, um, you, Sora ends up beating that thing by getting the Keyblade wielders of the past. This is actually pretty cool because you have to keep smacking Triangle a bunch of times. Everybody that you're summoning to help, I'm pretty certain you may be able to back me up on this, is someone that either is a username from Union Cross. Yes, there was a contest prior to Kingdom Hearts 3 where 300 names would be added to the game as part of that reaction command as the Keyblade wielders of the days of the past. I think they're the Dandelions or something. They're all helping Sora, and this triumphant kind of remix of Dearly Beloved just swells in the background. It's actually a pretty touching moment. It is actually very touching. I like that scene a lot. Even though it feels unearned, that payoff is still pretty good. Yeah, and I like someone on YouTube pointed out that even though there could only be 300 names, there were way more than 300 Keyblades, so it's like everyone still got to be there. Yeah. Oh, I, we, we actually skipped ahead a little bit on the end game. There was also the part where Sora had to go through the different portals and you have to collect. You have to save the hearts of everyone else who died. 
from this from this heart was called a lich. Uh, okay, it reminds me of the bit in the first game where in the final stage you would revisit all of one room of every other world. Yeah, it's meant to be a callback to end of the world. Okay. And I guess that's supposed to foreshadow something that happens to Sora in the ending, but they're just so vague about it, even when it happens, that I, I couldn't really get invested in that. Right. So, so yeah, that happens. Then they continue on to the crossroads of the Keyblade Graveyard, where they encounter the 13 Xehanorts. And Xehanort unlocks the walls. I, I know. It's like, what? And... It creates a labyrinth. Oh, 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 man, we, we totally forgot about Yen Sid's big moment. Oh, yeah, the part where there's a bunch of Heartless on them, and they're just literally having a fight back, and then Yen Sid comes in and just makes a pathway for them. Oh, the, nice of you to join us and... Actually do something. Donald and Goofy hang back with him. Then we go to the crossroads, and Xehanort unlocks the walls, and there's a labyrinth where Sora goes around to the different areas in the labyrinth and it's a boss rush against all the xehanort incarnations which is I, I think it's pretty cool though it's not an original idea and you always have the choice of which one to go to first but it's not going to matter you got to go to you got to go to every one of them anyway it's it, it's kind of like an obligation that they would have to pair up for some of the fights otherwise we have like 13 boss fights that'd be crazy uh, i would like to point out that with one exception, the bosses, the different Xehanort incarnations that these characters are fighting usually have some relevance to the characters in question. Like with Riku, it's the Riku replica and Ansem. And there's one more whose name escapes me. Oh, uh, never mind. I forgot who it was. Are you thinking of the Saix fight? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. That was a Zigbar. It was Zigbar. Uh, oh, oh, I thought we were moving to a different fight. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, Riku's fighting Riku Replica, Ansem, and Zigbar. With the exception of Zigbar, the other two have relevance to Riku himself. Okay. We don't need to go over how everyone relates to every boss, but that is a thing that they mostly try to do with all of them. It's, it's kind of neat that they get to give most of the bosses a pretty decent send-off in one way or another. Yeah, some of them saying, you know, oh, I just wanted to do this for whatever reason. Some of them bringing back characters. This is where a lot of the characters that were shown to come back do come back. Yeah, this is where a lot of the resolution happens to the Birth by Sleep trio and the Days trio. They're actually reunited. Actually, uh, all the only character who was not brought back during the events of the game itself is Namine. Yeah. And this is where we see some of the payoffs for some of the side threads that Ansem the Wise and Vexen were all doing. Yeah, that sort of thing. It's There's, there's a lot of details we kind of glossed over because there's too much to talk about. We would be here all night if we tried to talk about it. As a fan of the characters, I'm more into the characters in the story. And I think by this point, most people would be. I would say, though, that some of the ways they came back do feel a little ham-fisted. But since we they're expecting them to come back, I'll excuse it. I think the the catharsis is good enough. I like I like seeing all these friends being reunited, especially Shion. She hasn't been seen since days. Well, she, she had an appearance in Dream Drop Distance, but she didn't do much there. Okay, fair enough. But you get my point. Yeah, the happy endings all around. Then you get to the last remaining Xehanort incarnations. It's all the ones that are literally Xehanort. Yep. Including young Xehanort, which, uh, you have a funny story about that. Oh, yeah. All the Xehanorts react differently when you kill them for the last time. The Ansem Heartless is saying that, I knew I didn't stand a chance, you guys are much tougher than darkness. And then he fades away. Xemnas is like, oh, wow, having a heart hurts. It's gotta be pretty tough to have a heart. And then he dies. Young Xehanort is like, yeah, whatever, I'm just gonna grow up to be Xehanort anyway. Bye, Sora, you're gonna die. Yeah, pretty much. I made a joke of a similar concept on a YouTube comment somewhere, and someone tweeted that to Ben Diskin, and he got a kick out of it, and that made my day. That was pretty good, yeah. So, if it, so yes, uh, the Axeman over here has been recognized by a voice actor. Very indirectly, for five seconds. <laughs> That's good enough. This leads to a part where after this boss rush, Xehanort kills Kyrie. I should say, before this, she gets kidnapped again. She gets plucked right out of her boss fight. 
She doesn't even get to help you finish fighting Saix earlier. She gets kidnapped, and then she's killed in front of you just to make Sora angry. And I'm not even a Kairi fan, and even I think, wow, that's bad writing. Oh, it's really bad. Nomura does not know how to write Kairi. He's like, uh, 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 we're gonna do this. You're like, uh, damsel, uh, motivation for Sora and Riku, go! Like, that is, uh, I believe TV Tropes calls this stuffing them in the fridge. Something like that. When a woman is unceremoniously killed just to get the man to be angry. And it really is unceremonious, because she's just knocked out and then he just flat out kills her. He could have at least, you know, had a boss fight or something with Kyrie versus Xehanort. That would have been something. And then she dies in battle. I mean, at least that's a worthy send-off. It's just really, really lame. It, it is. Oh, boy. So eventually, you know, now that he has the key blade, the... Can I just say, by the way, the key blade is the ugliest thing I've ever seen? I kind of got used to it, but... I mean, you get used to it, but it's still the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I just hate the pun name. Yeah, I know. I, we could call it the Kai Blade, I guess. Yeah, and then it just sounds weird. Mm. Why not just call it the Ultimate? Oh, the, the Crossblade. That, that, that would have worked, too. It's the big, special, fancy, double-key blade sword that he wanted ever since Birth by Sleep. And it's going to let him unlock the mysteries of Kingdom Hearts itself. Which sounds like he wants to figure out the plot. But no, we're talking about the MacGuffin Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, that that one, not the actual Kingdom Hearts. At least I'm pretty certain it's not the actual Kingdom Hearts. And he, he, he skedaddles into Kingdom Hearts itself. And I guess everyone's going to stay behind to do damage control, except Sora. But also Donald and Goofy, they get to follow him to the final battle, and I think that's actually pretty nice. It is. Um, it's in a, This place still kind of confuses me. It's called Skalaad... Kylum. Kylum. Is that actually a place they went, or is it just in Xehanort's mind? It's the world within Kingdom Hearts, I believe. Okay. It's the world from which all other worlds... Sprung, yeah, I remember that part. Because then you go into the boss fight, it starts out with you fighting 13 different... I can't really call them clones. They don't really get a name, I don't believe. They're somehow references to Xehanort's different vessels. Yeah, he does say that in that place, he and his others can be one. Yeah, and they, they all share a health meter, too. Which is probably supposed to be a nod to that. And then you fight Armored Xehanort while he's literally screwing with the world. Yeah, he's messing with gravity, he's messing with water, it's... There's an, there's an underwater boss fight, which is actually kind of neat, because it was established earlier that you there are underwater boss fights in the Caribbean. Or underwater, yeah, underwater fights in the Caribbean. I just like how, I, I don't, I, I'm not up on my Latin, but I think Scala ed Kylum is like Stairway to the Heavens. Something like that, yeah. So, or really. Sta or Stairway to the Sky or something along those lines. Really, all this time, Xehanort just wanted to get a Led Zeppelin reunion. <laughs> Uh, the, I'm going to be in a band, and all of my other selves will be the bandmates. He's a literal one-man band. Yeah. They're going to be a Led Zeppelin cover band of darkness. Oh, jeez. Uh, can I say, by the way, uh, speaking of that boss fight, it was actually easier to do the underwater segment of the boss fight than it was to do the air segment. Huh. Yeah, I know, it's weird. Because hmm. the swimming controls in this are actually pretty solid, though I still maintain I agree with Chuck on this one. Majora's Mask has the best swimming controls. He's talking about Chuka Conroy. Yes, thank you. So, you, you, you fight Xehanort a few times. It, it's a JRPG final boss in it, Kingdom Hearts. It's it, it's darkness and friendship and, and swinging your keys around, stuff like that. And then after they beat Xehanort, I guess everyone somehow joins them in Led Zeppelin land. Well, they beat Xehanort, and everyone joins you in Led Zeppelin land. And Ericus, his ghost, jumps out of Terra, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah what, what, what's going on here? And, well, I, I think there's... I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> he just kind of talks Xehanort down, and they die together. And Sora gets the Kikai Cross Led Zeppelin blade. And I, I guess they all return back to the Keyblade Graveyard... And everyone wants to celebrate. Sora's like, that can't, gotta go find Kairi. And then I guess we just get a montage of everyone living their lives. All the sympathetic characters are happy. They get to be friends again. Nominee even comes back. It's really nice to see all these people be friends again. And then Sora dies. 
Well, yeah. That's pretty much the end of it, yeah. If it sounds like we're bored with the end game, it's because it was so rushed. Well, it's also because, like, I have conflicting feelings about how detailed we've been getting about everything. Right. Because I feel like a lot of the catharsis and payoff is just worth seeing for yourself. So I feel like going over in detail just kind of is redundant. Yeah, probably right. I mean, if you really don't want to buy the game, though, or you can, you could look it up on YouTube. But really, I would suggest you play through the game. It The payoff, at least, is worth it for the catharsis alone. Even if the ending's a little mad. I don't think Sora is dead dead, though, because... Well, I mentioned that the world ends with you reference a while ago. He ends up in the version of Shibuya, which is specific to that game. So they're doing something with that. And there, there's another secret ending, but I want to not talk about that one. I'll just say that it ties to the phone game and just leave it at that. For reference, I didn't get the Shibuya secret ending, but I got the other one. Mm. So if you just play normal mode, you, you'll get the other secret ending probably. Maybe. So... Yeah, there we have it. There's Kingdom Hearts 3. You really like the game, Henry. Yeah, I like the game a lot. I really do. Like I said, the 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 catharsis is nice, the ending is meh, but the gameplay is definitely good, though. I will admit I do miss the reaction commands. I asked you early on, but I never really got the full answer of how you would rate this compared to the other games in the series you've played. It's up there. My favorite? Hmm... It's kind of tough, really. I do like this one a lot for its gameplay, but the story could really use a lot of work. I would say it's just under 2 as my favorite. Really, 2 is your favorite? Yeah, Kingdom Hearts 2 is my personal favorite of the bunch. It's mine, too. It has its problems, I won't lie. Oh, good grief it does. But 3 definitely tops it in a number of ways, just from looking at it. It does top it in a lot of ways, but also does go backward in a few ways as well. It could be said as maybe two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, like I, like I still, I say, pick it up. It's still good. I think one of the things the game could have used is a good middle act, like how in two you had the big war at Hollow Bastion. In some of the other games, you go back to Traverse Town for whatever reason, stuff like that. It needed a middle chunk. Right. It really it had a beginning and an end, and there wasn't much in the middle. Like like we said earlier, it is bare bones. DLC may fix that, but I doubt it. There's one super boss, and it's not even that super from what I've heard. There are some pretty good minigames, though. I guess. There's also some really good music. So, let's get into today's favorite songs. The thing is, I don't know most of the track names for the songs yet. We're still kind of early on in the game's life cycle, where... It's not widely available knowledge yet. The good news is most of the, most of the soundtrack here, they borrow it from previous Kingdom Hearts games, which makes sense. This is supposed to be the end of the Xehanort arc. Yeah, it was nice to see some returning tracks, but I want to talk about some new ones. So, uh, Henry, what are some of your favorite new tracks? New tracks. Um, no, in no particular order, um, there's a new Heartless Boss theme that only plays twice. I'm not sure what its actual name is, though some fans have started calling it the Consuming Dark. You're talking about the boss theme that plays for the Gothel and Hans Heartless. Yes, the Grim Guardianess and Skull boss fights. Yes, Skull or Scowl. It's from Norse mythology. Yeah, for those boss fights, it's one of my personal favorites. And if, from what my research said, that's not even a Shimomura track. Oh yeah, it's Takeharu Ishimoto. Who has also done work, uh, most notably Type Zero, if memory serves. Mm. Uh, the Toy Story b- battle theme is pretty good. Yeah. I like how the field theme for that level is also, it's You've Got a Friend in Me. It's very blatantly, You've Got a Friend in Me. Oh, it is. And it, let's just say that they, I'm not sure who did the music for that, but it's a lot better than when they did Bibbidi-Bobbidi-Boo for the Castle of Dreams and Birth by Sleep. (laughs) Seems like in every game there's at least one Disney world that just borrows a canonical theme, and this time it was Toy Story. And uh, You Have a Friend in Me was a good choice. Yeah. I didn't actually notice it until probably about three quarters of the way into the into the world, though. You really didn't notice? Oh, yeah, you didn't watch Toy Story. No, I did. Oh. But it's been years. Oh, that's, like, iconic. Yeah, I know. I, did. I was also too busy trying to figure out what to do and also beating up Heartless. Mm. And jumping into giant toy mechs. I noticed that 
the past games had a habit of recycling world music for returning worlds. They don't seem to be too into that this time. Um, the only one that the only world that really does that, well, two of them do. Olympus does, but only in one specific area, and the other one is Twilight Town. Yeah, the the Caribbean has all new music though, but I think it's to the better. Like the the new Caribbean music all around is just really good. It is really good though. Again, I will admit I do miss He's a Pirate as the battle theme, but the new battle theme is just as good. Yeah, just as good, if not better in some ways. Oh yeah, definitely. Let's not forget the original Kingdom Hearts 2's He's a Pirate. That sounded like someone was trying to play it on a Casio. You know, for all the times you and I have joked about Don't Think Twice, the new Utada song, I, I never actually heard it anywhere in this game. I didn't either. I think it... No, it's not even in the end credits, I don't believe. I thought it was supposed to be the ending theme. Well, the ending theme is, of course, like they did in Kingdom Hearts 2, where it's an amalgamation of the different themes throughout the game. Different world themes. I could be wrong, though. I haven't listened. I haven't sat down to listen to Don't Think Twice. Hmm. Well, I knew that the opening song was some combination of Utada and Skrillex. Uh, yeah, which is which is what? <laughs> I heard that song once, and maybe it just needs to grow on me, but I wasn't into it. What do you think of it? I wasn't paying attention. Okay. okay. Right, so I'm probably going to have to just sit down and listen as well. Well, okay. I guess I guess there's no opinion there. But as far as the as far as the world themes are concerned, they're good enough. Like even a uh, Arendelle has a pretty good has a very it's a very Christmassy sounding theme. Oh yeah, it kind of reminds me of Freeze Easy Peak from Banjo Kazooie. Actually, though, I know it's vastly different. I guess it does. Any last things to say about Kingdom Hearts three? Um, if the this is the send off for the Xanor arc, and no, this is not the end of the series. This is no, just the end no, of the definitely arc. not. They. Planted enough. We're not going to get into it, but they planted enough throughout the game that there's more to the series. They're going to start a new arc, probably. And if it's if Nomura can actually learn how to write competently, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah, I've secretly been hoping that after three, he would wipe the slate clean and be a little more linear. And then I realized that there was no promise of that. Now I'm just like, okay, whatever. What? Well, yeah, it's. It's going to be a, con a convoluted, confusing mess, but at least we're starting at ground zero again. You know what, Henry? This isn't even the longest episode I've done now. Nope. I know it's not. There have been episodes where I had to break them into pieces. Like, the Earthbound episode. It's like an hour and a quarter. We're almost at that, but not quite that. No, almost, yeah. And th this is without editing. Right. Anyway, that's Kingdom Hearts 3. It came, it saw, it didn't conquer, but people still like it. It will not be Game of the Year, I can probably guarantee it. Now that I've said that, Watch is going to be Game of the Year. I mean, it sold really well. There's still that. Oh, that's fair enough, yeah. If you're going to go by sheer numbers, then it's made, think, it made back its budget, no I, problem. I think it's it's good to have this closure. We finally had Kingdom Hearts 3. It's, it's finally over now. Still waiting for Half-Life 3, but... Well... <laughs> You're dragging that joke back, huh? You know what? Kingdom Hearts 3, people have wanted that for 13 years. I have. Which is one year longer than people were waiting for Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah, it's the end of an era. 17 years in the making. And now here we are. Yep. Well, if you want to hear me talk about more games, I don't really know which episode is up next because this one was recorded mostly out of circumstance and out of any plan. It's just Henry and I were hanging out and I thought, hey, we should talk about... We should do an episode, talk about Kingdom Hearts 3, since I've been wanting to do that. I am currently tied up to my chair right now. He is, uh, and he's got a gun to my head, so please help. I, I had to squeeze one last episode out of him. So, want to keep up with what games I'm into is usually a good clue as to what episodes will be up next. You can follow the BitCast on Twitter. It's the same name, the BitCast. You can also keep up with the show on the Podcast One website and mobile app, and also on iTunes. Henry, I'm going to give you one chance. Is there anything you want to say at the end of this episode? Help me. See you all next time. Listen to BitCast anytime on PodcastOne.com and on the Podcast One app.